Welcome to Practice Freedom. What if you could hang out with owners and founders from all sorts of healthcare private practices, having rich conversations about their successes and their failures, and then take an insight or two to inspire your own growth? Each week on Practice Freedom, we take an in-depth look at how to get the most out of both the clinical side and the business side of the practice, get the most out of your people, and most of all, how to live the healthy life that you deserve. I'm Mark Henderson Leary. I'm a business coach and an entrepreneurial operating system implementer. I have a passion that everyone should feel in control of their life. And so what I do is I help you get control of your business. Part of how I do that is by letting you listen in on these conversations in order to make the biggest impact in your practice and ultimately live your best life. Let's get started. All right, so it's the first episode. Today I get to interview my friend, Dr. Joe Galati, and this is the first episode in the new format. So, you know, it's just a little bit high level. We're just kind of wandering around trying to figure out uh, where this is going and, and kind of get a connection here. And, you know, Joe's really passionate about his healthcare practice and uh, and living a good life as a human being. And so he was why I, that was why I chose him to be a part of this. And what we uncovered in this conversation, just sort of talking a little bit about his journey and how he got here and, and the choices he made, was that, you know, what really marks his practice is his own personal identity and, and what that manifests like. And so I, I think that's probably the biggest takeaway. You can hear a little bit about how he got there and, and how, he, how he does some cool, fun things to, to, make, uh, to be noticed that I think are, are fun and, not, and him and might be inspirational or just kind of seem random to people listening. But I hope you enjoy this. Uh, is it really fun to get this started? Uh, this is going to be an interesting journey that unfolds and goes many different directions. And I'm grateful uh, that Dr. Galati was willing to kind of kick this off with me and, and see where this goes. I hope you enjoy. So I am so excited to kick off the inaugural full interview episode of Practice Freedom with my good friend, Dr. Joe Galati, who I know to be somebody who has equal or greater passion in aspects of what it is to run a practice that has three critical dimensions, which is to run it, first of all, first and foremost, as a healthcare practice to take care of people who need help, to run it as a business where money and profit follow value, and then ultimately live a healthy, happy life. Joe, how are you, man? I'm Great, Mark, and I'm happy to be part of this first episode. And I think that anytime I can contribute one thing to anybody that's tuning in, I think I've been successful. You've met your accomplished goals here. And uh, we're here to tell the story and uh, share some ideas. So when I first started talking to you about this, I asked you some thoughts on the title, Practice Freedom, and you were, and you kind of gave me this like, no, man, it's much more critical than that. You got to break the chain. You got to break out of the prison that your practice right. is. So, you know, your passion is, is in all these aspects and, and you have an outlet, you've got your show, you've got your books. So, you know, tell me about that. What's behind that passion? I think that on a typical Monday morning, the weekend's over, we're coming back to work, I have my parking spot, there's the same people that tend to park in the parking lot at about the same time. And in my own head, and I've never said this to anybody, these are your parking lot buddies, men and women that all pull into the parking lot around 6.30 to 6.50 in the morning on Monday. 
And everybody walks into the little vestibule, they go hit the elevator and you go up and you leave. And you've got that one to three minutes of bullshit small talk. How you doing? How was your weekend? <laughs> What'd you do? What do you think of the rain? All right. And I'd say, unfortunately, 80% of the time it is, yeah, I'm back to this shit. Or yeah, weekend's not long enough. Or something like that. Time to make another $2. Honestly, I'm not making this up. Yeah. And I sit there like I'm the happy idiot. I'm like, hey, it's Monday. Had a good weekend with the family. Did some exciting stuff. I was home. I was making pizza in my brick oven outside. And this is the response you get. I look at these people that they're trapped. They are maybe burned out or they're in a practice that they don't have control. They show up. And I think in any business, whether it is building a house, selling jewelry, or selling kids toys, if you don't have some control over your destiny, you are screwed. Find something else to do. So anyway, so this passion is, I really have fun what I do. I love my patients first and foremost. I love the practice of medicine. It's very challenging. No two days are the same. But very early on, I figured out that medical schools, medical centers are not that good at running the business side of a clinical practice. They know how to run an emergency room. They know how to run an operating room how to run a hospital, but your practice and your staff, not so good. And I've worked at different hospital-based clinics and practices over the years. And I realized that a lot of smart people, but they don't know how to really run the practice. And after five years of being on medical school faculty, I left to go into private practice. And that is where I cut the chain to have that freedom to do as I wanted. Sink or swim, right? If it sucked, it was my fault, not the CEO or the CFO's fault. And so that's where I think you have to have control of your destiny, Mark. And whether it's taking care of people with liver disease or a consulting service, you have to have control. And that's where cutting the chain comes in. So many things. So for people who don't know, which I think everybody should know you, but those few people have been hiding under a rock. Your specialty is liver specialty. Liver specialists of Texas, yes. right. We handle liver disease, very unsexy organ. You know, there's no greeting cards with, you know, honey, I love you and a little liver on it. Most people connotate <laughs> liver with alcoholics and drug addicts, which by the way, is not so. And so there's a bad connotation, liver disease, liver and onions, you know, it stinks. It's not good. But yeah, we take care of people with all facets of liver disease, including those that develop cirrhosis, liver cancer, liver failure, and been involved in liver transplants since about 1988. And so been involved in thousands of transplants, both in University of Nebraska and in the Texas Medical Center here. And it's very challenging, very, very sick people. And it's a lot of hard work, but we have a great team to, to take care of these folks. So that's a high order, certainly morally valuable calling. Right. There, there, are, there are many ways you could tackle that, right? So what you were talking about a second ago was the frustration that caused you to go kind of entrepreneurial. And so what I've observed in the companies I've worked with is there's sort of three paths that a healthcare provider can choose. And one of these I sort of describe 
like intentionally sexist sounding. Like imagine 1954. All right. You got a choice. You can be, there's a girl in front and there's a doctor in back. And that's the practice the entire life. Right. That's one way. Then there is the hospital system. I'm part of a larger organization, you know, a, a bureaucracy, a very large right. metropolis type environment. Yeah. And then there's this middle ground, what I call private practice, scaled private practice, where I want to do more than just be kind of hidden in the back and live this sort of solo, hidden, hermit life of private practice. I want to make a bigger impact. You chose that middle path. Right. What made you do that as opposed to the alternatives? Well, you know, I looked at it as following the crowd is boring, right? And I looked at it from liver disease standpoint. These patients come with all kinds of problems. And so, first of all, the day-to-day care of our patients, we try to be as engaging, and certainly you're familiar with EO, the people that we've been exposed to, how do you have a Ritz-Carlton experience with your practice? And so it is, in a sense, we're almost in the hospitality business. Somebody comes in, how are you? They're greeted with a smile. They're taken in. Everybody is polite. How are you? What are your concerns? How can we help you out? What is it that you need? The key for us is educating. We want to educate our patients. And as I say on the radio, We want to raise your health IQ. We want to make you better consumers of healthcare because if the more that you know, the better it is for us, the better it is for you and your family. And so we've geared ourselves around training our staff and attracting people that like that kind of practice. If you came from a practice where you were the solo girl up front and a guy in the back, you're probably not ready for us. The other thing is we try to incorporate other services here. So we have a full-time nutrition service here for our obese patients. So we offer that. We have other services within the practice like imaging. We do ultrasound and something specific to the liver called FibroScan here. So we put into different silos these different service lines into the practice, which number one, makes it more of a one-stop shop Mm. for the patient. They could come, park their car, come up and get everything done and get as much information about their condition under one roof, under one practitioner. The second thing is from an economic standpoint, capturing those funds rather than letting the guy next door do it or somebody else. If you could develop expertise in these other service lines and really roll it up under one practice, that is beneficial for the health of the practice and for the health of the patient. So at a high level, what you have in that private practice capacity is you can design the experience like you want. Like you're not constrained right. by the hospital's rules and you have more to work with than just being just one or two people in a room. Every doctor I've ever spoken to, especially the more educated ones with the more heavyweight education, there's a stark comparison between their feeling of education and their confidence about running a business. It's like this really high contrast. So like I have, I'm unbelievably educated and I know so little about what running this right. to run a business. And so you're thinking, I want to provide a great service. I want to run a business just like everybody else. And how did that go for you? Easy peasy, no problem. It. Well, after I was on faculty at a medical school, sort of a traditional 
faculty appointment, you taught and took care of patients and you were salaried at a medical school. I realized that that system was not working. The group that we had, we were still doing liver disease and liver transplant. There were three of us, three hepatologists, three liver specialists. The amount of revenue that we were making for the medical school was crazy numbers. Hmm. And so every year we would meet with the dean uh, who would go over the finances of it and say, boys, you are doing fantastic. Now, in those early days, we wanted a little bit of a salary kick, but we really wanted the investment in all of the profit we had to go to hiring more doctors and hiring nurse practitioners and maybe getting another fax machine or sort of scaling that business. Easy crap. And they said, well, pediatric dermatology is in the red. And so Uh. it is, what's that word? It is sort of equity. Mm. It is redistribution of the wealth. (laughs) And so those monies that we broke our ass working went to pediatric dermatology. It went to the dental department and things like that. So year after year, we sat there and we like, why the hell are we making so much money for the school? And so we all, the entire team, there were about eight of us, mm-hmm. we broke away from the medical school and formed a private practice. I had nothing to do with the formation of this private practice. There was somebody else that had been in practice and we were going to join him. Gotcha, gotcha. My, I, my first business was kind of like that too. I was like, this is... <laughs> Absolute colossal failure, Mark. <laughs> um, he had articles in corporation, partnership agreements, all the stuff you need, the paperwork to do it. And our mutual friend, Al Danto, was the one that sort of pushed me to go into private practice. And I looked at these papers, these incorporation papers. I didn't, I couldn't read it any which way. <laughs> I just signed, and it was a disaster. Eight partners, one of which had a little bit of practice experience, leading seven others that didn't know what was going on. There was all kinds of financial misappropriations, staff that were stealing, I'll be honest with you. And after about 18 months, I said, I'm out. I put in my resignation to leave the group, I said, let's do this over a, you know, three to four month transition. They said, fine. I got called into work the next day. They fired me on the spot and threw me out. Wow. So um, through trial by fire, I formed the practice in a day, liver specialist of Texas. I had a phone number and I had a URL, texasliver.com. And I was off. My first office was a 10 by 12 closet in the hospital. Really? And I had four or five staff members. And the funny thing was, Mark, it was so small. We had, I think, four PCs all sort of rigged together with wires. And we formed a little local network to get out of the room. Everybody had to get up. We had to move the table, go out the door push the tables back to the wall and you'd keep working and answering the phone. So, you know, it was, I remember those days, I cherish those days, but it was a real ass kick to be thrown out. But I landed on on my feet and uh, it's been wonderful since that time. Easy peasy since then. Easy Hiring yeah. has not been a trouble for you. You've been able to get the people to do exactly what you want and scaling uh, the business. Hiring... And- You know, hiring has gone through its ebb and flow where we've had, you know, superb staff. 
We've had okay staff. We've had some laggers that we would try to bring up and they would do well. There have been a few outright clunkers that would be with us for literally weeks and we'd have to release them and go from there. I think we're in a very good groove where we know exactly who we want, sort of that that perfect demographic of a person as far as their attitude. And it really comes down to attitude. We have people that have never done anything related to liver disease or transplant, but we have a system in place where we teach them and get them up to speed. So it's always have to be careful on on the hiring. People are out there, but nowadays it's even more challenging. So when you started this process, did you know what it was to have a business as opposed to be in practice before that? Did you know that there was going to be a new skill set that was involved? I would say that I did not know. And there was a lot I certainly did not know and stuff I never heard of. I would say a habit that I have had from high school was to always seek out people that knew more than me and team up with them, ask questions, ask for their advice, never be embarrassed to say, I don't know how this works, please help me. And my belief is that all of us are a tapestry of all of these people that we have made. Some people have had a much bigger influence on us and they have a bigger piece of material on this tapestry. Others just have a little corner. But you have to seek out people that you know. And at the same time, you're learning. Learning from others and then self-learning, self-education and reading how to figure this out. The other part I would say is that EO has been a tremendous asset to me to learn from others, experience sharing. Not everybody out there that's in practice and is successful, they may look on the outside like they have the coolest business in the world, but when you pull back the drapes, it's a shit show that took many years to get to the point now that it's working well. So yeah, so roll that back a bit. I remember when you first joined EO, which if you don't know as a listener, the Entrepreneurs Organization, which is a global membership organization for business owners running a business of a million in revenue or more. It was It's known that like, you, you're a doctor, like, what are you doing here? It's, it's like, right. what are you here? Oh, you're a doctor entrepreneur. Huh, how does that work? You know, did you feel like a fish out of water or did it feel normal for you? Well, when they were interviewing me, they had said that we typically don't look for doctors and lawyers right. to be to be members because they're typically not good entrepreneurs. But the way I was introduced to the group was, this is Joe Galati, an entrepreneur with a stethoscope. And so that sort of stuck as a little bit of a joke, but I truly wanted to not be the reckless physician with their money. I wanted to invest in the staff. I wanted to invest in the process, the experience, and really try to make a better mousetrap in a sense with the practice. Because, you know, as people are listening here, Mark, the experience in the physician's office nowadays I think is getting worse. The reimbursements are going down. And if you're in primary care, internal medicine, pediatrics, you are working off of very slim margins. And the only thing that you could adjust is the time and work off of volume. 
And so if there's volume, you're rushing through. And unfortunately, the other big problem is that the population, as it is aging, all of the baby boomers, they are alive because of all the technology, the medicine, the scans, the surgery, et cetera. 30, 40, 50 years ago, a lot of these people would have been dead. Okay, but now they're alive, but they have a lot of chronic disease. Yeah. And this chronic disease is a very heavy load for the practitioner managing diabetes and high blood pressure and cancer and the, you know, the issues related to aging. And so it's a lot more work. The family practice of 2023 is not the family practice of 1970. Oh, for sure. You need so many more people. And, and lots of thoughts, right? Because w- when I was about to ask about the dual life of the physician entrepreneur is two full-time and a half jobs in one human being. Right? Yes. <laughs> right? It's a 60-hour job on both sides. And so the doctor expects that on the clinical side, but then, all right, I'm going to be in business. And now it's, it's not just, can I lead and manage with the basics? It's what you said there. Okay, margins are eroding. I'm going to have to evolve the business. Do I make choices about being high volume and efficient and process driven? And is it more narrow my specialization so I can be efficient with that? Or do I go add retail add-ons or do I start doing cash pay or how do those fit together? What type of cases are very profitable for me? What kind of doctors can I get? So, you know, what is it like to live the dual mentality of having the clinical burden of being the liver specialist in Texas or really yeah. nationally, and yeah. then also having to be like a badass entrepreneur making these market-based decisions? Right. And you have to, you know, really every day you have to look and say, what are we doing? Where are we potentially going to grow? Does it make good business sense? Does it make good clinical sense? And, you know, I may come up with a great idea that I'm going to do something And it sounds cool. It's maybe great for patient care, but either it's going to cost too much, it's going to take too much bandwidth, and something else is going to suffer. So we either don't start or get rid of that process or that plan. You know, part of it is trial and error. Part of it is not to be afraid. You have to sort of get out there and have some tolerance for failure, in a sense, as long as you're not putting patient care in jeopardy. Have a team where you could bounce these ideas off of them because without a doubt, if you have that team, if you have the culture, they're going to give you ideas to say, you know what, we don't have the time to do X, Y, or Z. Or let's scale it back. You're a little bit too grandiose. Let's sort of trim it down to 20% of what you're crazy idea is. But it is, you know, you can't just come up with ideas. And I have a lot of ideas that get shot down. Or (laughs) my wife will tell me, "Uh uh-uh, that ain't going to happen now. It's just you don't have enough time. But it's and but that's the fun part, Mark, about this trying to dream and be expressive and not be afraid. I believe that's the key thing. So clear, obviously clinical outcomes, making people blind, people dying, not good failures. That's never acceptable. What kind of failures did you have to build an appetite for? I think failure for maybe losing money on investing in some part of the practice, either hiring somebody that you thought would be a big benefit only to find out that this is not working. Mm-hmm. And we hear so many times Take your time hiring, but fire somebody even faster. I've had people where I did not 
remove them from the practice quick enough and it costs money. Nothing that put us in any financial peril, but certainly it cost more than it needed to. And it stings from not so much the bank account standpoint, it stings from I made a really shitty decision Mm. and only I could live with it. And I'm not going to do that again. You hope. People, clinical leaders, doctors, administrative staff, business leaders, all of those equally. Wait, say that again? Uh, in terms of the types of people you're talking about. Because w- what I'm getting at is that I think there's a resistance historically. I hire a doctor, a doctor is a doctor. And you, the doctor has to be really bad culturally before we have the guts to, to push them out sometimes. Right. But if you get the wrong front desk person, got a bad attitude, that's a little easier. But in terms of your experience, looking across the types of people, doc, ba- doctors are bad or worse in terms of having a culture fit. You know, who are you having to push out? I mean, there, there have been physicians that have been in the practice that have been bad cultural fits to the point where they may be doing their thing. They're not practicing malpractice. They're doing okay. But their attitude is poisoning the functioning of other staff. Right. And that's where you have to say, this is the door. Even if whatever profit revenue they're making, you now have to lose. Right. And you do that to keep the team afloat, not to say, well, they're doing this and that, just sort of keep quiet and let this guy or girl be a jerk. You can't. So that's happened. And really, it's from administrator to mid-level providers, nurse practitioners, PAs, physicians, and then, you know, front desk type clerical workers that we really need have, um, you know, had to be shown the door. But we're doing it far less today than 10 years ago. We have gotten better at that. Yeah, I was going to say, it seems like it's new. I think that between, if you compare doctors and chefs, it was expected that the very best ones were the absolute worst to work with. Right. And it seems like that appetite has gone down because I work with and know companies where like, you know, these are really top end physicians, right. doctors, and it's like, they're simply abusive and they are going to go. Right. Because we don't need that anymore. We can give somebody just as good and better right. who is actually awesome for the culture and helps everybody be better. Yeah. No, that is the truth, without a doubt. So talk about the team. You said the team to bounce off ideas. Who do you take advice from? Well, my my core team would be our practice administrator, who is unbelievably valuable to the day-to-day oxygen coming into this practice. And then the four mid-level providers that I have, two nurse practitioners and two PAs. We work very closely together. We share the ups and downs of the patients. They see how and what I want for the patients, that culture, not only the culture amongst ourselves, the culture for the patient. When they come, what's the experience? And we do some unusual things here, Mark, that probably most don't do. We have been doing probably six years now. I have coined it the Great American Produce Giveaway. Oh, yeah, and that's right, so yeah. every day we have a, a basket, a bushel of some kind of fruit or vegetable. And it may be a zucchini, it may be a tangerine, it may be grapes, it may be an onion, it may be basil. And what we do is we have it tied together or in a bag or loose with a recipe. And what we do is we hand out these fruits and vegetables to our patients who maybe never really cooked with a red onion before, Hmm. or they've never made eggplant. And we give them a recipe. And what we do is 
We give it to them. Our staff will come around. We all pose for a picture. We will post it on Instagram. They go home and then they will take pictures of them cooking it and send it back to us. And so people don't really expect that. And it's to the point now where there are patients that leave us. Usually we put it in a brown bag of some kind. Okay. But sometimes maybe we run out of bag and they are just walking around with an eggplant in their hand. (laughs) They get in the elevator. They're standing down in the lobby looking for a place to have lunch or whatever. And somebody will come up to them and say, what's with the eggplant? (laughs) And they'll say, oh, Dr. Galati on the 20th floor. Does he have a farmer's market? And they'll say anything from, I don't know. I just went there for the first time and I got an eggplant. Strangers (laughs) will come up. (laughs) knock on the door and they're like, can I have an eggplant? Can I have a zucchini? And, you know, usually the staff will come to me and they're like, Dr. Galati, there is a stranger here that wants a zucchini. Can I have one? I'm like, absolutely. They've got to take a picture with us first. And they come in and we make a stupid little silly fuss about them. They leave thinking, what the hell just happened here? But again, Mark, that's the experience that we want to be separated. Now, whether or not they go home and they send a relative to us is a good marketing. I don't know, but we have fun doing this. So what I love about that is because I know you and I know that that just would seem random, but it's not for you. I know you oh, no. want people to eat well. It's, you exude this, like, why are you eating food out of cans? There's no cans, right. no boxes. And so this is your right on brand, right on core values. And it, you right. have to know yourself. And when you can do that, the practice is so dynamic, right? What ho- right. hospital are you going to where they're giving you a zucchini? It is not no. happening. No way. Not in our lifetime. <laughs> so that's, and I think that makes a difference. In, in so many ways. And I think if, you see, the problem is, Mark, and again, you could apply this to any business or any medical practice or anything within healthcare. Some would say outrageous. Some would say it's a stunt. Some would say it's pushing the envelope. I say, as I, I think you were alluding to, this is me. Yeah. I really want to do this. I don't wake up and say, how can I be outrageous? No, I look at it when patients come to see me and they have a number of nutritional challenges. They are overweight. They have diabetes that's out of control. And in a five-minute conversation, I realize that they have not had a piece of fresh fruit or a fresh vegetable in 10 years. That is very sad their disease is going to continue to perpetuate and it's now affecting their children. What can I do to make an impact? Let's give them food. Let's experiment with them. Short of taking them to the market or short of me going to their house and cooking, I'm going to give you a gift. Make it. Let me know what you think. Is it outrageous? Yeah, a little bit. It's sort of comical. But it really gets the point across. But we're doing it out of sheer interest for our patients. And can we encourage somebody else to do that? You know? For sure. I mean, a a dental practice, there's so many sweets and processed foods. How about in a dental practice, no matter what kind it is, is there fruit and vegetables to take home? To say, hey, your teeth are clean now. Start off on the right path and don't have chicken pot pie for dinner. Cook some spinach tonight 
and have that with a little garlic and olive oil and you'll, you'll be good. So I want to unpack this for a tiny bit, and we're, I know we're going to be out of time here in a minute, and we got so much more to talk about, and we're going to continue the conversation in the future, but this element of the gimmick, or I want to make sure I am crystal clear, it's not a gimmick for you. Somebody listening to this might easily go, you know what, we should do that too, or we should do something like that. Well, maybe you shouldn't, and the essence you're talking about, like, this is me. That work has to be done. And this is where the business coach in me is sort of intervening into, into any free thoughts that people are thinking right now. Oh, and what we're going to do, we're going to copy Joe's idea. Maybe. The work has to be done. And you've done it over decades to know, right. look, you can't, you know, Joe, Dr. Joe Galati knows who Dr. Joe Galati is. And everybody who knows right. him knows who that is as well. If you don't know, if you don't know what you stand for, you must find out. And you must do the work to figure out what it is that fires you up. What is your purpose? What's your cause? What's your passion? What is it that just makes you want to get there early and stay late and feel like you're making a difference? And then you all, of course, figure out where your narrow lane of excellence is. And once you're clear on that, the things that come from that, random as they may seem from the outside, are not random at all. And they build on what you're doing and they allow you to make an impact. Yeah. And I would say the word is to be authentic. Yes. Okay. Now, now, the book I wrote, Eating Yourself Sick, it is about food. I tell in the beginning of the book and through most of the book, I tell the story of me growing up in New York, big Italian family, sort of your stereotypic New York Italian family. I grew up at the kitchen table, chopping garlic, stirring tomato sauce, etc. My mother was a significant guiding light along with my father and my grandmother on how to cook the importance of good food. That carried with me from, you know, being five years old to where I am now. So it makes sense that we talk organically a lot about food, a lot about cooking, a lot about nutrition. Why wouldn't I hand out food? Of course, this guy's going to hand out food. I'm not handing out a pair of socks. That doesn't make sense, okay? Right, right, right. So whatever you do, whatever your passion is, you have to say, because I am passionate, it is real. It's okay for me to have a comedian in my lobby making people laugh, okay? If it is appropriate and it's earnest and it's part of your DNA. Having a comedian in my office doesn't make fit. It'd be weird. It'd be funny. People would talk about it, but it's not part of my DNA. And so really, as you were saying, Mark, find out what your DNA is. Find out what is really works. And so when somebody looks at it to say, yeah, that business or I went there or something happened and I something occurred, it makes sense. Of course, it should be there. You know, the other thing and just, you know, I, I don't want to take too much time up here. The other thing that I do, and I've been doing this about five, six years as well. When you call our office, because nothing is worse than calling the office and the BS, please stay on the line and you get, I made a 10, 15 minute loop recording. So hopefully you don't hear it twice in succession. <laughs> Basically, it's me. Hi, Dr. Galati. Thanks for calling Liver Specials of Texas. Of course, if you want to press one for this, two for that, three for that, fine. Then there are people that are just on hold. The hold message is me talking about 
my upbringing, my belief in the practice, the things that I do, and gives them a window into me, the staff, the practice, what to expect. Everybody that comes in loves it. That's me. Call me gregarious, talkative. I love to tell stories. That's okay for me. If somebody is more reserved and quiet, they may be the wrong person to have a monotone voice and just say, welcome to, you know, Bob's roofing company. You know, let me tell you about something. Nobody cares. But I think if it fits, goes with the personality, it's okay. Yeah. So not to unpack the tactics too much in there, the... You know, what you're, the monotone roofing company thing, you know, that guy's not passionate about it. You're not, you're going to sense it. Every physician, every healthcare provider I've ever talked to, when they're vulnerable enough to share their real story, it changes the game. They are there for a reason. They have something very human, very meaningful that in the listener, in the patient, in the prospect and whomever, it's, I had no idea. And so I think that it's, I think this is a really interesting time to see really entrepreneurial transformation in healthcare because there's so much stodginess and traditional approach to, you know, everything behind the white coat's a secret. And when we don't do that, we say, by the way, I grew up here and this is what I believe as a a human being. It's just, it's kind of shocking and it's humanizing and it pulls people into some authenticity that they don't expect that really adds value. Yeah, you know, and I, I think if there's any take home here, it is that authenticity And there is this, not holier than thou, but a little bit stuck up, stuffy physician. I am the physician. Don't ask me questions. Don't come with your internet questions because that's all crap. I entertain all that stuff. I'll tell them. I'll look at it. And I'll tell you why it's no good. But, you know, the other (laughs) thing is there is a physician here in the med center, very successful cardiologist. I only found out about three or four years ago that he is a world champion skeet shooter. He travels all over the world. Uh, I see things that he posts on Facebook that he is in Milan, Italy at the World Cup of either skeet or trap. I'm not quite sure. Sporting clays. Mm, right, right. And he is the reigning world champion. In the world. (laughs) Unbelievable. Unbelievable what this guy has done over his lifetime to get to that point. I look at him totally differently. Yeah. Yeah. I look at him totally differently. And I'm sure his patients look at him differently. So we can't be afraid to pull back the white coat and see what's underneath there. It really, really is key. Absolutely. Awesome stuff. So usually I ask at some at this point, like, what did we miss? And I don't even want to ask that question because we missed like 99%. There's so much more to cover. Yeah, I love the idea of just sort of the authenticity. And I think a lot of healthcare practitioners are not thinking that they can be something other than what their credentials are supposed to be right. pre- you know, providing. I love that. If people want to follow the conversation or keep up with you, what's going on, obviously we'll put some links in the show notes so people can find the books. But what's the easiest place for people to, to check you out? Probably drjoegalati.com. You could get our practice, the book, our online social media podcast, uh, the radio program on iHeart and SiriusXM. That'd be the easiest place to go, Dr. Joe. 
Com. Got the books and all that. That's great. Man, I'm so grateful. I know we just kind of scratched the surface here today and we're going to do so much over the episodes, over the weeks and months and potentially years at this stage. There's so much to make an impact with healthcare, to, to change the way we're doing it for value for the people who work in it, right. for the value for the people who consume it, and really transform to put doctors and healthcare providers in a different place in their life because it's been a big yeah. transition. I think, it, you yeah. know, probably 50 years ago, it was probably easier just to feel good. And then there was a transition, like you, you alluded to, the, the margins just kind of took it away. And there's a lot of people I talk to who feel like healthcare is just not fun or rewarding anymore. Right. But I work with a lot of people. I really work with a lot of people who are like, this is pretty good when you adapt. We yeah. can make a really good positive impact. I can live a great life and everybody feels good about it. The patient. Yeah, and I, you know, exactly. And I think, Mark, for you, the role that, that you play, I would think there are those physician entrepreneurs that are going to Forge ahead regardless. They just either they came from a schooling background of business or finance and they understand all that or they've had good influences. There's others that will never, ever break the mold. But I would think the vulnerable group is the group that you provide a great service to that are on the cusp. They see what the other people are doing. They may not like what they're doing or the prospects of Another 20 years of this? Yeah. I don't know. Not to be afraid to reach out and get the guidance and learn from experience and put certain pathways, certain tools into place. And it's like a light bulb going on. It's very illuminating to say, how the hell did I do it all those years like that? It's so yeah. much better, better now. So kudos to you and truly good luck with your continued influence of physicians and those in healthcare. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. It's been fun. It's been been a big privilege so far. I'm excited to see where this goes. But man, thanks so much. We'll talk again soon. That's it for today. For if you're listening for the first time, please subscribe, share with your friends. If anybody you know might use this information, if they're in the healthcare space or not, I mean, I don't, it's not limited to healthcare. Certainly, we're going to have a lot of people who are in that space, but please share that. Give us all the feedback that you can possibly muster, good and bad. We love every little bit of that. And in the meantime, we will look for you to see you next time on Practice Freedom with me, Mark Henderson Leary.